Try it again. <laughs> All right. This morning our reading is found in uh, Luke chapter 7. You had lots of time to look for it, so hopefully we're there. Um, it's in your pew Bible on page 731, for those of you using a pew Bible. All right, Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind, him at his, stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. All right. Um, Some know him as pastor. Some know him as uh, motocross champion. Some know him as church planner church founder, but uh, to me, he's my buddy, Julio. Um, I also would like to introduce his wife, Olga. Where she is, there she is. <laughs> I won't make her stand up. And uh, two of their three daughters are with us this morning. Uh, Natalia and, and uh, Miranda are here. Camila couldn't be with us this morning, but we'll catch up with her sometime. Also, they brought up another friend from uh, who, who was with us in Peru. Tanya, she doesn't want to stand up either, but she's here. So you can say, you can say hello to them after the service. Um, somebody once said, if you have two or three really good friends in your life, then you're blessed. And uh, Julio is a friend, friend like that. Um, during the time we served together in Peru, uh, we had many times we cried together, prayed together, ministered together, sweated together. Um, just one of those guys. We've been separated for many, many months now, but uh, you see him and you pick right up right where you left off. Just a friendship like that. Um, as most of you know, our families, we had the opportunity to minister with Julio Olga while we were in Peru and uh, work alongside with him. We got to see the, the real good parts of Julio and the real bad parts of Julio. I, I had a couple great stories I was going to share, and he reminded me that he's going to speak second, so I, uh, I cut them out. <laughs> um, we were there in Peru at the time we got to see Julio and Olga in action during the founding of, uh, of, the founding of their church, the uh, Iglesia or the church, the Mil Palmetas Church, Iglesia Mil Palmetas. Uh, we were there to see it. We were eyewitnesses of that. We were also eyewitnesses to the, uh, to the ministry, the motocross ministry. We had the opportunity to see thousands, thousands of people um, respond to Julio's message after winning the motocross race. Uh, you have to, to give you a little idea of the atmosphere of a motocross race in Peru. People are drinking, people are, it's all over. They may have three or 4,000 spectators. Lots and lots of noise, the motorcycles are screaming. 
halfway through that race, halfway through the day, uh, between heats, it would stop, shut down, Julio would get up on that stage, and that crowd of people would actually get quiet. And unless you've actually been there, you cannot imagine uh, what that's like when you have that much noise and that much going on to all of a sudden get quiet and just listen as Julio would stand up there and share the gospel. And uh, what a privilege, what a neat, neat opportunity to, to be there and to see that and to witness that. So uh, Kelly and I and our family, we've had that opportunity. We've got to see him in action. Um, you're going to get to know him a little bit, hearing him, hearing him speak, um, trying to understand his English. <laughs> but, um, Julian Olga spent the last several months in the U.S. They're, they're preparing for a new ministry, for what God has next for them. Um, in October, they're going to return to their, to their church, Mil Palmetas, um, in Pucallpa, where, where, where they've been serving, where we served. And um, they're going to spend a few months there with the people there, with the, the church leadership, and uh, just preparing for a new transition. At the end of those few months, they're going to transition to a new ministry in Lima called the Lima Initiative. And uh, I'm very, very jealous, uh, as jealous as I can be in the most Christ-like manner, um, <laughs> of... Uh, of the ministry they're going to be starting. Um, the ministry that we got to be part of with them in the, the Mil Palmetas was uh, certainly one of the, the most rewarding and exciting times I've ever, ever experienced in my life. And uh, uh, just very excited for Julio and Olga and their family as they start a new ministry in Lima, uh, the Lima Initiative. And I'm going to let Julio share more about that. But thank you. Thank you, Tom. Man, I forgot he hugs hard. <laughs> We're here again and uh, be able to spend some time uh, with some people here from the church, but also with one of my best friends, uh, Tom, Tom, Tom Mitchell. Uh, like he said, uh, we were in Pucallpa, in the Amazon of Peru, for 10 years. And it has been a great, great experience those 10 years to see the, the hand of God working through ordinary people. When we went there, we didn't have a clue about what God was going to have, what he had stored for us for the next 10 years. But uh, as, as soon as we got to Bukalba, one of the first missionary couples that we met were, were Tom and Kelly and their family. And uh, we have been great friends since then. Uh, they, they helped us start the, motors, the motocross ministry. And uh, I remember I haven't raced for many, many years. I kind of quit riding because riding motorcycles were an idol for me. But uh, they kept like, you have to go back into riding. You have to go back into riding. I did not want to do it. And eventually they got me a bike. I rode. They asked me to share the gospel at the end. And he and Tommy had right away, what do you need to make this a ministry? And uh, I shared with them some of the needs. And, well, I have to tell you that I always raced, I mean, professionally until that time. I had very new bikes from Honda and Yamaha and mechanics and trucks. And now I was riding a very old 500YZ that Tom got me. I didn't have any gear. Remember? I was riding with jeans. I mean, it was very humbling for me. But it was a great experience. We started the motocross ministry and a few... Um, sometime later on, we, we, a lot of people came to know the Lord out of that ministry. And we started the Mil Palmeras Church. And that has been going for 10 years, and I think everything has a cycle. I feel that God has called me more as a church planter than really being a long-term pastor for a church. So we're getting ready to, to go to Lima and start our, our, our next uh, assignment with South American Mission. And, and uh, Tom, not only you, but everybody, 
I mean, you guys are going to be there with us because you, you, you are a church that is behind us. You guys have been giving faithfully, supporting us financially in prayers, and uh, we would not be able to do this if it wouldn't be because of the support of churches like you are. So please don't feel that you're not there with us. You are there with us. And, and our home and our family and ministry are open for you anytime you would like to come down and visit. We're talking with Tom. Maybe it would be great to have a team coming next year when we transition into Lima, to have a team maybe coming from the church. We would love to receive you over there in Lima. But anyway, if you want to hear more about the Lima Initiative, uh, I, I invite you to, to log into a webpage, uh, www.limainitiative.org, and you'll see a little more information, updates about the ministry there. So uh, you, you can check it out online and have a little more information. Well, go, going a little bit in, into an introduction to the sermon this morning, um, when I came here, I, I started reflecting about what made my friendship with Tom special. Right? I mean, this, this is the kind of friendship that you don't, you don't find very often, right? And uh, one thing that I was thinking of is the way we complement each other, right? I mean, I mean he, he has some skills and gifts that I don't have, and I have some gifts and skills that he doesn't have. And, and we work well together. And, and you know, we, we are like a body. We're, we're, we're uh, working together. And, and those initial years, I, I remember, was great because he's, he exe- excels... As a servant, he loves to serve people. He loves people, and the way he expresses that is by serving people. It's natural to him. He doesn't need to think like, oh, I'm a Christian. I need to serve people. It, it just comes natural to him. No, it doesn't come natural to me. Right? No, that doesn't mean that I don't need to serve people. I need to do it, but I just need to work a little harder. So he would love people and serve people, and people would love to come around us. And then I can do what I can do best, which is sharing the gospel and teaching them and disciple them. That's what comes natural to me. I don't, I don't really have to work hard on that one. It's a natural thing. That doesn't mean that Tom doesn't have to share the gospel with them. He doesn't, but teaching publicly for Tom is not his natural thing. You already noticed that, right? But we complement each other. And the other thing is that he has a great mechanical ability. He can fix anything. Is that correct? Or nothing? Anything. All right. He can fix anything. But he needs someone like me that I can break everything. (laughs) I break things and he fixes them. That's how it works. Actually, last year, Tom, I, was, I, I miss you so much. I was driving. I have a pickup truck there that it's a diesel truck. And I was driving the truck, and I stopped at a gas station. And, you know, we don't have self-service. There is only full service. So the guy comes, and I tell him, please, could you fill the tank and put some diesel on the truck? So the guy comes, and he put, puts the diesel on the truck, and I go driving. And the truck starts after, like, three or four minutes. It's not like, tuk, 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 tuk. I was like, what is that? So maybe some dirt in the fuel pump or something. So I start accelerating harder and top, 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 top. I mean, eventually I would call Tom. Tom is not there anymore. So I parked the car at a friend's house. I had a meeting there. I came out thinking, well, you know, as soon as I come out, probably whatever dirt was there is going to settle and the problem is gone. I tried to start the car. The car didn't start. So I called a mechanic in town, 
And I said, hey, listen, this is what happened. I went and I filled the tank and, you know, it started doing these weird noises. And I stopped the car. Now the car doesn't start. He said, Julio, looks to me that they put gasoline instead of diesel. So anyway, I mean, he came. He, he did some work in there, took the, the car to the truck. But anyway, they did put gasoline instead of diesel. The car worked for a while, but eventually it died. So I learned a great lesson. If your car is diesel, do not put gasoline on it. <laughs> you know why I tell you this story? Because I think in our Christian walk, our Christian experience with God is the same. We need to be fueled by the real fuel. And if we use any kind of substitutes, it will work for a while, but eventually will die. And what I'm talking about is, I'm talking about either you're going to be fueled by religiosity, or you're going to be fueled by love. And believe me, it's very easy to get confused with this. Sometimes we enter into our Christian life. As a relationship, we're invited to Christ, to a person. But after a while, it just becomes religion. Now, when you see so many cases in the Bible in how Jesus attracted these two groups of people. There were religious people that wanted to know about Jesus. But there were people, there were sinners that also were so attracted to his message of hope and love. Now, the problem is that religiosity and love, in the outside, they look pretty much the same. Both of them come to church. Both of them sing songs. Both of them read their Bibles. Both of them can have their devotionals. Both of them can go to mission trips. Both of them focus in some kind of behavioral transformation. They look pretty much the same in the outside, but the great difference is in the inside. What fuels this change? Well, in the case of religiosity, you can really be fueled by self-righteousness. You can be fueled by fear. You know, I, I need to obey God because if I don't obey God, bad things are going to happen to me. Well, that is truth. But is that what it's fueling your life? Fear? You're missing the best part. If you're fueling your life by selfishness. I mean, I'm, I'm going to do all these things that God requires for me. So good things can happen to me. It's the best thing that can happen for me. It's all about me. You're missing the thing. The main thing. It's all about love. And a relationship with Christ can really only be fueled by one thing. And that is love. It is love. Anything that we do that is not motivated by love, inspired by love, is not real Christianity. It does not make us any different than a Pharisee. Now, when, uh, if you still don't think that Maybe this is a problem in the church. Let me share with you some statistics that I found from, from Barna. This is a group that does surveys about Christianity. And Barna did this research among 
Christians from different denominations, different age groups, and they prepare a group of questions that they will, can, they, they will have to answer these questions based on your actions and based on your attitudes. Not only the action, but also the motivation inside. So the results of this survey among the church was this. 14% of the people that were interviewed, 14% had a Pharisee-like attitude with a Christ-like actions. Meaning they were doing the things that Christ would do, but their motivation was more like of a Pharisee. Maybe feeling better about themselves instead of doing it because they love people. 21% had Pharisee-like actions, meaning they will behave like Pharisees, but they will have a Christ-like attitude. 51% identify with Pharisee-like action and Pharisee-like attitude. Now, if you add all these numbers, you have 86%. 86% of Christians are not fueled necessarily by a loving relationship with Christ. Only 14% identify with Christ-like actions and Christ-likes or Christ-like attitudes. That's a reality. Now, if we apply that to here, that means that 86% of us are getting this thing mixed as well. So my desire is that today our hearts will be reoriented. That we will evaluate really what is fueling our Christian walk. Is it fear? Is it selfishness? Or it's love? And probably if you are like me and most Christians, you will have to admit that probably you are just like me, a Pharisee. In recovery. Because that's our natural tendency. Become religious. About things. Now going back to the text that Tom read this morning. I want to reread a few of the first verses. And then we're going to uh, start teaching a little bit about, more about that. It says verse, in verse 36. Chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them. With ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now you see, there are two people here meeting with Jesus. One of them was a Pharisee, and this Pharisee named Simon is going to uh, represent what is the religious, religious approach to Jesus. And in the other hand, you have this woman that is known, we don't even know her name, we just know that she was a sinner from the city. So we have a sinner, 
And we have a religious guy right here. Both of them were attracted to Jesus. But there are two different approaches. Now to be honest with you. I think on my many, many years of Christians. Of Christian. Many times I would identify immediately with the woman. She's so nice. Look at that Pharisee. But the more that I know about myself. To be honest with you. When I was studying this text, I could not help see myself represented in that man. Religiosity is so dangerous. And it's so easy to get into our lives. Now, the first thing that you're going to notice about religiosity is that religiosity focuses in yourself instead of God. It's about what God can do for me. Right? I mean, if you're being attracted to God and Christianity because of what he can do for you, he can do great things for you, but it's not about that. You see, when, when Simon heard that Jesus was around, he was a celebrity. So he invited Jesus. It was a common practice for Pharisees. When a celebrity came to town, he would invite him to their home, not so much to honor him, not so much to recognize who he was, but it was about getting all the, you know, all the recognition and importance for having a celebrity in your home. So he invited Jesus to his house. They would have a meal. They said it was like they had big windows. They would open up everything so people would walk by and see that you had this celebrity in your home. So you see, his motivation of having Jesus invited into his home was not about honoring Jesus and, and worship him for who he was, recognizing him as a savior. It was everything about him. It was everything about him. And religiosity is like that. It's all about you. It's all about me. Well, that's not Christianity. It's not real Christianity. It's not about you. And many times it takes time to figure that one out. I keep talking to my children about that. You know what? It's not about you. You, you keep thinking as God, as somebody that you know is just going to bless you to have a good work, to have a good family, not to get sick, and enjoy a good life. Well, if that's your perspective, let me tell you that you're, you're missing the point. It's not about that. It's about something even better than that. But it's all about love. It's all about a relationship. Now, religiosity produces blindness. That's one of the risks of becoming a religious person. You see, it produces blindness towards God first. You cannot see God the way he really is. You see, when Simon had Jesus in his house, he could not recognize that he was the Messiah. That he was God. You know why? Because in his mind, in his understanding, God would have to be a projection of himself. That's what religiosity does. We don't see God the way he really is. A compassionate God. A loving God. He saw a God that was just like him. And how was he? Well, he was a guy that when he, he thought that he was more holy than what he really was. And that, you know, there were sinners that did not deserve to be close to God. And that God will never mix up with sinners. He would never do it. So he thought that God was just like him. And that's the first thing that religiosity does. Every time you think of God, you're not going to see God the way he really is. You're going to see God as an extension of yourself. And I'm so happy that God is not like me. 
I'm so happy. But it takes a while to figure, figure that one out. You know, I, I was reading this book um, called Surrender to Love. And, and one part of the book, it, it asks you this question. It says, what do you think that God feels about you when he thinks of you? And you know what? To be, I have to be honest with you. The first word that came to my mind was disappointment. Disappointment. Because I know better. I know better. I should be living in a way that is honoring him. And I'm not doing many times. Now when I kept reading. The book says. Probably you responded. Disappointment. I felt good about me. I'm not the only one. Right? But I'm so happy that God is not like me. But I had a hard time seeing a God as a loving God that he really pursues me, that he loves me. You know, that doesn't matter what I do, he keeps loving me. And that love totally transformed my life. I have a hard time receiving that because many times religiosity doesn't allow you to see God the way he really is. And he think, you think that he's just like you are. Because many times when people don't behave at the standard that I hope from them, I feel disappointment. But I'm so thankful that God is not like that. But religiosity makes you twist things so you don't see God the way he really is. Simon could not recognize Jesus because Jesus was not what he was expecting him to be. Religiosity also not only blinds us to be able to see God the way he really is, it blinds, it blinds you to see yourself the way you really are. When Simon looked at himself... He saw us another category of person. If these men or this prophet would know what kind of woman is getting close to him, he would know that she's a sinner. So he was implying that there were two categories of people. Bad sinners and honorable people like him. You know what? Religiosity does exactly that. It doesn't allow you to see yourself the way you really are. And you know what? You are worse than what you really think you are. We have this great ability to look at ourselves and to compare ourselves. Usually, but we are very wise to choose with who we compare with. Right? So I, I always tell my, my, my Peruvian friends, don't take your wife to an American family home and see what the husbands do in their home because you're going to feel bad. I mean, we as Peruvian men, macho, we don't cut the grass. No, the woman doesn't do it. You hire a gardener, right? You usually don't help in the kitchen. You don't help with the babies. You don't change diapers. Every time I see men here, not Tom, but many other men, <laughs> man, they do all these things. I will never compare myself with them as a husband. Religiosity does this thing, blinds you to be able to see, you know, yourself the way you really are. But not only that, religiosity also blinds you to be able to see people how they really are. You see, when Simon saw this woman coming into her house, 
he did not feel compassion. He felt condemnation. When he saw this woman, he felt rejection towards her. And that's what religiosity does. Elevates your status, becomes you, makes you feel proud, proud of yourself, but condemns others that don't fit your standards. It's always pointing at people and looking into their sin and condemning them. I'm so thankful that God does not do that. When Jesus came, he showed compassion to this woman. But how many times I am like that? You know, I see somebody, somebody in church or outside church, and I see the way they live, and I condemn them immediately, almost like choosing and deciding they don't deserve God's love. Look at the way they live. But God's compassion is not like that. But this is what religiosity does. I want you to see the danger of it because it creates eventually fruitless life. You will not see fruit if you're a religious person. If you're fueled by fear or selfishness, you're not going to be able to see God the way he really is, a loving, compassionate God that is crazy, crazily in love with you. You will not see yourself the way you really are. As a sinner needing him daily, you will think a lot higher of yourself than what you really are. And you will be feeling condemnation instead of compassion for those that are around you. Now, right at that moment, I love that Jesus took one of those teachable moments. And understanding and listening the heart of the Pharisee. The heart of a religious man tried to approach him. Look what he's going to tell him in verse 40. He's going to tell him a little story. And he says in verse 40, And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, Simon, tell me, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. So Jesus now is telling Simon a story that hopefully will take him away from his religious approach to him. Simon, you got this thing wrong. Let me tell you this story. There are two men. One owns 50, and the other owns 500, right? Now, Simon, let me tell you one thing. Both of them are in debt, and both of them cannot pay. For some reason, you think that you own 50, and this woman owns 500. Simon, you, you did not understand this. Both of you are sinners. You are a sinner as she is. Now, the difference is, of course, that this woman's sin was so obvious and visible that everybody knew that she was a sinner. And there's a lot of sin that is so visible that everybody can recognize. But the sin of Simon was so inside that people could not see it. Pride. Condemnation. Self-righteousness. Trying to gain God's favor. All that is seen as well. Of course, it's not as visible as someone that is 
you know, sleeping around or having an extramarital relationship or a gay behavior or stealing. But in God's eyes, both of you are sinners. If you're a religious one that thinks they can't deserve God's grace because of your behavior, you're a sinner as the woman is. And that's the first thing that God will teach them. You own 50, you own 500, both of you are in debt. And you know what? Both of you are incapable of paying your debt. Both of you are broken. You cannot pay this debt by yourself. And the next lesson in there is my grace and forgiveness is something that you cannot earn or pay of. Now, and then he's going to jump and move away from Simon and he's going to look at the woman. I think the worst thing that can happen to Simon that day is that, God, that Jesus would use that woman to teach him something. Now, Simon, look at the woman. Since I entered your house, she has not stopped washing my feet, kissing me, worshiping, broken the alabaster in me. But since I came to your house, Simon, you did not do none of that. You did not receive me. You did not wash my feet. You did not did all the things that this woman did for me. Now, one thing that you see the difference of this woman's approach to Jesus was, I mean, some, some of the commentary says that this was, of course, not the first time that this woman heard about Jesus. Some people say that it was right on that message that when, when Jesus said, come to me, all of you that are weary, that I will give you rest. Now imagine the life of this woman, a sinner. She knew that she was a sinner. She didn't have any hope. For a better life, for forgiveness. And then these men, Jesus comes and preaches a message of hope. I will give you rest. It doesn't matter what brought you to the, to the situation where you are right now. If you repent, if you believe in me, there's a new life for you. This woman heard that message, probably did not stop thinking about Jesus. And then she heard that Jesus was very close by at this Pharisee's house. And she could not help it. She grabbed the most valuable thing she had. And she ran into this house to see Jesus. He, she, did, she did not care about what people would say. She went and lay down and, and, and worshipped Jesus right there. She was, she was so thankful. And Jesus does something beautiful. He connects these two things. Forgiveness and love. Forgiveness and love. He, he asked Simon. He said, Simon... Who do you think will, you know, we love more? Well, I, I guess the one that has been forgiven more. That's exactly the main thing. You cannot experience this kind of love that we're talking about. I cannot experience that kind of love if I'm not aware of the kind of forgiveness that he has given to me. You know what? We tend to forget so easily where the Lord brought us from. And if we forget that, if we miss that part of things, we will not have a grateful heart. And we'll be just like a Pharisee. You know, this woman was totally broken because of the love of Jesus. And that's a great thing that love does. Love changes the heart. 
Religion changes behavior. Love changes the heart. And out of the heart, the behavior changes. But if you're a religious person, like, like many times I struggle with, you're just always focusing on what a good Christian should do. And every time you read a, mess, a message like that, you go like, so what did the woman do? Oh, she, she, she sacrificed. Well, I have to do the same. But it's not about doing things. It's not about reading the Bible and imitating the behavior, the behavior of a good Christian. It's not about reading about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Oh, I need to have more love then. I need to have more. And have you done that? Well, the whole thing is about change of heart. And nothing will change your heart more than being aware of God's love for you. He's crazy in love for you. And it's not just a, a, a superficial love. I mean, he, he, it was such a powerful love. He loved you and he came into this world, took a human form. He went to the cross. He died. He bleed for you. That's love. While you were a sinner, he died for you. And he came back to life. So that out of that love, in response to that love, your life will be totally transformed. That's the kind of fuel that God wants for us. That everything that we do is a sacrifice, a loving action, opening your Bible. It's not just because that's what good Christians do. It's because I love you so much, God. Because if you, you, you can do so many things, but it's not out of love. It's just religiosity. It doesn't, it doesn't have any value. It might be good for you. But it doesn't have any real, real value. It's all about love. Love changes. Love is the most powerful motivator. And, and let me tell you one thing. I don't know if you, if you remember. If, have you seen this movie, uh, Les Miserables? Have you heard the story of uh, Victor Hugo's novel, Les Miserables? Well, the initial part. It's just an amazing illustration. Even though Victor Hugo, some people say that he, he did not, he wasn't a Christian. But it was a beautiful illustration of what love does and what the gospel does. You know, this man was in prison. This man came out. He didn't have any chances, any opportunities. He ends up, the, the, a, a priest invites him into, the, into, the, into his house and, and, and give him food and give him a bed. And in the middle of the night, uh, uh, John Van John, he wakes up and he starts stealing stuff and, and he goes away. He didn't know any better. So he left. And when he, he was gone, the police caught him and brought him back to the priest. And he said, these men said that you gave him all this stuff. The priest comes to him and for the first time in his life shows love, compassion, and grace to this man like never he experienced before. And he said to him, I did not only give him that, but he forgot to take the most valuable things that I have. And he brought the most valuable thing. And here, take it. But let me tell you one thing. God is buying you now with this. Basically, go be a new person. That man experienced grace and his life was totally transformed. He went and he dedicated his life to love people, to serve people, to care for people. So powerful. One day, I mean, I, I received Christ when I was 22. And, and you know what? It was hard. I was coming from the motocross group of guys that were all about partying on the weekends and drinking and, and doing all kind of bad things. And, and I, you know, it was hard when I came to the Lord. And, you know, 
really experienced this transformation. And one day I went to work, and when I was getting out of work, all my friends were calling me. I was married now with Olga, and they, they called me, and they said, Hey, Julio, let's go hang out Friday night. We have this thing going on. Why don't you come? Uh, I said, Oh, man, I would love to go, but I can't. I, I'm, I'm not going to go. And, and when I was driving, I asked myself, a young 22-year-old, I said, like, what? 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 What did really change me? I mean, how, how this happened? How, how this habit of living this way was broken? And then this sweet little voice that you can all, almost not perceive came to my heart and said, My love for you. I love you when you were totally lost. And I will keep loving you. My love for you. And every time I messed up, God keep loving me and loving me. I got to the point of saying, you know what? I don't want to hurt your heart anymore. You love me so much. You love me like nobody else. My mom left when I was five, but you were right there with me. So many things have happened in my life. But you were right there with me. You never stopped loving me. And that has been the most powerful experience that I had in my life. Not only learning the gospel here, but experiencing God's love right here. My friends, my desire for you, maybe you started right. Maybe at some point you missed the point and you end up just trapped in this religiosity of just coming to church and be part of the programs and activities. Maybe out of a good heart. But Jesus reminds us it's all about love. This is the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all who you are. It's all about love. If you don't have love, you don't have nothing. And this is my invitation to you this morning, that you can examine yourself and really be honest with you. I need to be honest with you. I mean, 10 years, I've been even in in ministry. I, I pastored, I church, I planted a church, I did so many things. But you know what? My awareness of God's love many times was very little. And it was something very heavy to carry. This Christianity thing is so heavy sometimes when it's not out of love, but an obligation and duty. I was more in love with ministry and doing things for God than being in love with God himself. And God brought me this year really to put things in order. Julio, it's not about the things that you can do for me, even though I have gifted you to do things for me. It's about just enjoying me and enjoying a loving relationship with me. Even though I take away everything from you that you appreciate and love, you'll still be satisfied because I am with you and I am your God. Let's pray. Father, we want to give you thanks for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you, Father, that you keep bringing us back to the main thing. Thank you for your love, your overwhelming love, your amazing, unconditional love for us that never ends. And I ask you, Father, that you forgive us for all the times that we have not been totally immersed and convinced by this love and that we have been sometimes motivated by selfishness, by self-righteousness, by fear. Father, we pray that you put us in line away. As your church, Father, we want to love you in the way that you want to be loved. Father, you want to have an intimate, close relationship with us above everything else. And I pray, Father, that this message this morning will allow us 
to take the steps that we need in order to go back to the main thing. That is going to be fueled by your love and nothing else. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.